0: God vision, a crash course on vision from a visionary prophet. I will be saying during this message more than once that without vision, the people perish. Without vision, the Messianic movement will perish. And there's a lot of trouble in that regard. Without vision, without a God-given vision, this congregation will die. Vision is a matter of life and death. But, I'm, you know, I got, to, Joshua pointed out that this is the beginning of the month of Av, and I wanted to interrupt him and say, explain to the people why it's important that we take note of what the date is. In Jewish life, it's very important because our calendar is a holy calendar. And by knowing exactly where we are on the calendar, we know what's next. These holy events are are, are not insignificant. And with this holy event, with this Shabbat, we end up reading this particular Haftorah reading, which is perfect for our congregation right now, because the board is meeting on August 18th to discuss vision. And I'm asking every one of you here who call this place home to pray not for five minutes and not for 10 minutes, but to pray like somebody's life depended on it for this meeting on the 18th when we discuss vision. Because without vision, the people perishes. The movement perishes. The congregation dies. But the Talmud says that God prepares the medicine before the wound. God has given us the medicine. In today's Haftorah reading, he gives us the medicine. The only question is, are we going to take it or are we going to let it pass by? Without vision, the congregation dies. And without God-given vision, it should. So let's look. Why is vision important? Jeremiah was born in renewal and he died in exile. He was born, you read at the beginning of the book, in the years of King Josiah, Josiah was a really good king. And he followed a whole long line of real losers, real sinful, uh, corrupt, idolatrous kings. But Josiah was a gem. He was great. And Jeremiah was born and came into his ministry during the time of renewal, but he died in exile. The Messianic movement was also born in a time of renewal. I don't like being older. It's better than being dead, but I don't like being older. (laughs) But one of the advantages of being older is I remember. I remember I was, I was right smack dab in the middle of that renewal. It was wondrous. Those of us who uh, you know will remember a time in California where, where if you picked up a hitchhiker either the hitchhiker spoke of their faith to you or you spoke of your faith to the hitchhiker every time. It was a wonderful time of renewal. This movement, the Messianic movement was born smack dab in the middle of that renewal. But. We could die in exile. We could die in exile from proper vision. If we are not connected to and embodying a proper vision, we will die. And the faster, the better, because it's not serving the purposes of God. Why is vision important? To return to renewal, we need to return to vision, to God-given vision. And Jeremiah, in this chapter, gives us clues. And there are only two choices. And I'm saying this, I hope this is the last time, because I don't want to wear you out. We need a return to vision. If we don't choose a return to God-given vision, we are choosing death in exile. So let's continue. Jeremiah warns us that without vision, the people, the movement, the congregation, the renewal will perish. Today's Messianic movement, vision has become unclear. Different congregations have different visions. I was the chairman of the uh, theology committee in 2002 when we developed a definition of Messianic Judaism. It was good. It wasn't my invention. I just supervised it. And some people got together. It was really good. And everybody voted for it. I think there may have been one abstention. But voting for something and embodying something are two different things. And we're living in a day when, for the movement and for many congregations, vision is unclear. Many Many congregations, they have something in their vision statement, but that has nothing to do with who they are. They're disconnected from the vision. And many people are detoured from the vision. For some congregations, the real vision is fill the seats, make the budget. That is the vision. That is not a God-given vision. It's nice, but it's not what God raised up the movement for so we could fill the seats and make the budget. So, Houston, we've got a problem. The question is, now... I'm going to be unfair. I'm not going to do this. But if I, if I stopped the meeting right now and I asked, all, I asked each one of you individually, what is the vision of this congregation, I would not get the same answer from all of you. I'd be lucky if I got the same answer from two of you. Because we're not really linked up with our vision the way we should be. And it has to be not just our vision. It's got to be his vision. The Son of Man and our candlestick. Next one. In the Book of Revelation, the Son of Man, the risen Messiah, is walking among the candlesticks of the various congregations. And he warns one of the congregations that if they do not fulfill the purposes for which he raised them up, he will remove their candlestick. I have been asking this question in the Messianic movement for years, And I'm an annoying person. You probably know that. What's to keep God from removing our candlestick? What makes us think that God has got a a responsibility to back up our act if our act is not his act? What's, What's to keep him from removing our candlestick? It happens all the time. It happens to good, respectable works that kind of die because they forget their first love, they get involved in other priorities, and they just peter out. If you've lived long enough, you've seen it. It can happen to us. So, let's go on to the solution. I've talked about the disease. Jeremiah reminds us that God-given vision is appropriate to a context. He begins by talking about the context that he lives in. That's important. A vi- vision is not just some kind of stone tablet you found in a mountain like Mormon's claim of the Book of Mormon being found in Palmyra, New York, in the hill Kumora. Vision has a context. Now, some of you may sometimes you get people who are thinking, you know, back in the 1960s I lived in Savannah, Georgia. and I was part of a congregation. Man, we grew like a weed. We had a special program of going door to door and man, we just grew and grew and grew. That's what you need here in Alvacion. Uh-uh. This is not Savannah. This is Santa Monica. Vision is particular to a context. What worked somewhere else may not work here at all. And what worked in the 1960s in Savannah, Georgia, is not necessarily going to work. It's not likely to work. I'll tell you as a matter of fact, it won't work in 2019 in Santa Monica, California. Our vision has a context. I think we're still committed to honoring Yeshua in the context of Jewish households in particular. And, when, and our vision is not simply just, hallelujah, the seats are full. I don't think that's our vision. If it is, then quick, give me a, put me on my misery. Our vision has a context. God-given vision has a context. It's given by God. And it's not identical to our hobby horses. A lot of people have a pet idea of what you need to do with your congregation, you know. How many of you have ever had somebody tell you what you ought to do with your life when you didn't want their opinion? You know, uh, you know they, ought to, they ought to have the four spiritual laws, I love you when I have a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> you know, uh, God, it needs to be God given vision, not somebody's hobby horse. And we're all prone to hobby horses keep going Jeremiah has reminded us that vision has a context a a certain time, a certain people a certain place a certain history secondly God-given vision has transformational content Uh, five times in this passage we read the word of the Lord came to me vision is a life-giving seed that God gives us, an idea. Uh, Jeremiah calls it, it's a fire in my bones. And I, I, I can't resist it. A, a God-given vision. I'm smiling now, because I've known I've had God-given vision in my life. When I was living in San Francisco, I was sitting and I was studying the Bible. And I was reading about, uh, I don't know what I was reading. But the thought came in that my giftedness revolves around the identity of a priest, teaching, facilitating worship, and helping people in their their woundedness. Those are my, that uh, that came together for me. And it it was like it came alive in me. I could feel it shimmering inside of me. It was a physical sensation. That idea had life. And I ended up doing a dissertation all about the rabbi as a surrogate priest. That's not an accident. And I've lived out of that, out of that visionary moment, for decades. A vision is given by God. It's an idea. But Yeshua says the kingdom of God is like a seed, uh, uh, which is which a, a farmer plants in a field. He tends it. He goes to bed. He wakes up. He takes care of it. He has no idea how it grows. That's what a kingdom vision is. A vision from God has life in itself. You don't have to pump it, you don't have to polish it, you don't have to give it uh, four-color brochures. It's alive, a fire in our bones. So a vision from God, Jeremiah teaches us, has a context. It has a content. Thirdly, Jeremiah reminds us that a God-given vision involves receiving a call from God. We have a God-given sense of a responsibility that this vision should be realized. It's not just a nice vision. It's not just a vision that's alive. It comes with our name on it. It says, you've got to do something about this. Now, I'm a visionary leader by the grace of God, purely by the grace of God. I'm a complete mess by the grace of Dowerman, <laughs> complete mess. But I'm a visionary leader. Uh, from God. And I used to work for a man who taught me to feel embarrassed about myself because I wasn't a good administrator. administrator. He compared me to a fellow named Mitch Glazer. You you know Mitch Glazer? Yeah. He wanted me to be like Mitch Glazer. Mitch Glazer is a great administrator. He's the head of Chosen People Ministries, and now he's my, my consuegro. His daughter is married to my son. But this boss, wanted he made me feel humiliated because I wasn't a good administrator like Mitch. I wasn't made to be an administrator like Mitch. So what I began to do when I had visionary ideas is because I was embarrassed about my poor administration, as soon as I had an idea, I'd bring somebody in to administer the idea and they would routinely take the idea and run off in their own direction. So a number of years ago, I don't use this language often. God told me. God showed me. When I give you a vision, I give you, I want you to maintain custody of the vision. That doesn't mean you have to do everything. But when I give you a vision, I give you a responsibility to maintain custody of it. So if this congregation is going to get a God-given vision, it's not just a fire in our bones, it's not just a seed that's that's alive, that has life in itself. It is something where, where, now this is scary, God holds us responsible to do something about it. That's what Jeremiah tells us, that it's not just a context, not just a content, it's a call from God. He also reminds us that God-given vision challenges our confidence. Jeremiah says, I'm only a youth. I'm only a kid. God says, don't tell me you're only a kid. To all I send you, you shall speak. And don't break down before them or I'll break you down before them. Uh, Don't waffle. If you waffle, I'll make you a waffle. (laughs) That's what God says to him. It challenges our sense of confidence. He says, oh God, I'm only a child. Paul the Apostle says, who is sufficient for these things. He was a pretty hot customer. And he was, you read his letters, he was deeply aware of his own inadequacy. And you'll know the vision is from God if you feel utterly inadequate for it. That's a good sign. If you feel you got it, it's a piece of cake, then it's really your ego speaking. It's probably not God. Next, Jeremiah reminds us that God-given vision is both constructive and it's disruptive. He says, I'm sending you to build, to destroy, to uproot, and to plant. A God-given vision is messy. It's going to involve uprooting things that people are really married to. It's going to uproot uprooting. It's going to be smashing but it's also going to involve planting. I love this stuff. Uh, I think God gave me this sermon for you, for now. And I think it's important. It speaks to me like it speaks to you. Jeremiah reminds us, that God-given vision sees the present and the future with renewal eyes. Over and over again, you'll notice in this chapter, God says to Jeremiah, what do you see? And he says, well, I see a pot from the north. And then God uses that as a metaphor for what he's going to do. What do you see? I see an almond blossom. And then he uses a pun from the word for, a, for an almond branch, and he tells him something. For us, the point is, is that When we have a God-given vision, it changes the way we see things. We see things differently. We see things we haven't seen before. We see them differently. God gives us renewal eyes. It's exciting stuff. This is not part of my notes, but I'll tell you this. There's no guarantee you're going to succeed. You know? But I can guarantee you that if you do what God calls you to do, you'll be blessed. He won't forget. It's what you should do. We live in a day that worships success. How about if we worship obedience? That's not a bad idea. So, next, God-given vision is confrontational and it involves conflict. He says, going to, I'm going to send you to people, and, and they will not hear you. And Jeremiah is afraid to go to these people. He's going to kings who don't want to hear from him. Uh, God-given vision is confrontational, and it involves conflict. It doesn't mean you're going to, it's an excuse for you to be pugilistic. But if you think that everybody's going to smile <laughs> at you with your God-given vision, and they're going to say, gee, I never thought about that before. How can I help? There will be maybe somebody like that, but other people will fight you tooth and nail. One of the ways you know the vision is from God is that some people will absolutely hate it. Okay. Last point. God-given vision happens when God's longing becomes our own. When God's longing, his desire, when his longing becomes our own, God says here, in the beginning of chapter 2, he says, I remember the devotion of her youth, the love of your espousals. I just remember when Israel was holy to the Lord. I remember how things used to be. I want it to be that way again. And a God-given vision is one, where we want to give God what he longs for. I'm going to upset somebody in here because I'm going to say something nice about a Roman Catholic. So if that upsets you, this is the time to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Mother Teresa, uh, who's a very interesting woman, if you, if you don't think she's holy, pick up her book, come be my light. You read that book, after about 25 pages, you dr- it'll drop out of your hands. It's too hot to hold. It's so hot with holiness and love and passion for God. And in all of her uh, centers in the world, she has a cross. And next to the cross, there are two words, I thirst. Because Her vision was that Jesus, Yeshua, is thirsting for the souls of men. And so what drove that work was to give Yeshua what he wanted, what he thirsted for. And if we will have a vision from God, it's not going to be about our bright idea and how smart we are and all that jazz. It's going to be in some way giving God what he longs for. So let's conclude. Vision is necessary for renewal. Vision also gives birth to agendas, but not all agendas are from God. Everybody's got an agenda. If you think you have a vision for this congregation, I have a few questions for you. First, have you humbled yourself? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Vision comes to people who are humble. Have you humbled yourself? Or do you just have some some hobby horse, some project, some opinion? A vision from God? Have you humbled yourself? Have you given yourself to prayer? Have you immersed yourself in the word? I'll tell you, I need to pray before this meeting on the 18th. I have a lot of bright ideas. I have a lot of opinions. But I've learned a little bit that I've got to listen to myself when I preach something like this, and I've got to give myself to prayer. Thirdly, I'd have you immersed yourself in the word? Fourth, can you work submissively and cooperatively with, some, with other people? That's interesting. Because unless we have that kind of spirit, the vision is not going to happen. It's just going to be a battle line. Interesting and important questions. I want to finish with a quote from today's New Covenant reading from John 17. Yeshua the Son of Man set an example for us. He said to the Father, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, I'll say it again. I glorified you on Earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. If we would glorify God on Earth, we as individuals and as a congregation, as a movement, must know and do what he has called us to do. A lot of congregations, with all due respect, I'm not really asking that question. The the agenda is, I was in a congregation teaching a workshop. And during a break, I was just chatting with the people. And I said, you know, some people think the Messianic movement exists to teach Judaism light to Gentiles. And a woman said, yeah, that's why we exist. Well, with all due respect, I don't think so. I glorified you on Earth. That's not against teaching things to Gentiles, but that's not the purpose of the movement. We've made a lateral move. Reaching Jews is hard. So rather than reaching Jews, you can get a lot of Gentiles who want to do the Jewish thing and do Davidic dancing, and you can fill the seats and make the budget, and hallelujah. Well, I don't think that that's thinking deeply enough. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. If we would glorify God on earth, we must know and do what he has called us to do, and we must learn to do it together. So my question, is God vision? Let's pray. Thank you, Father. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. May every thought and every word that you approve of find lodgment in our hearts. May it become a fire in our bones. Forgive us, forgive our movement, forgive so many of your people, so many of us, who, unfortunately, never even ask these questions. Have mercy on us. Help us, Father, to ask the right questions. And help us to find good answers. We ask this. In Yeshua's name. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat
1: shalom. We rise
0: and turn to page 93 for the Elenu. Elenu l'shabech l'adon hako l'ted kedru l'aliyotze b'reshid Shalom of Sancha G'yeh Aratzot for the Lord, the Umoshav Yakarav Ashemaya Mima'al Uskinatuzo Uskinatuzo B'gav he miro mim Uelohenu Enod Emet makenu et kazulato Kakatu betorato Via da ta hayom Via hayom Vahashi Ki Adonai, Hu Ha Elohim, Ba Shama Yimimal, Fi Aharetz, That said, Adonai will be king over all the world. On that day, Adonai will be one, and God's name will be one. Ka-kotuv v'toratecha, Adonai yimloch le'olam v'ed. Fe'nemar fe'hayah Adonai al-koharetz. Ba'yom ha'hu, ba'yom ha'hu. Ye, ye Adonai Echad O Shem'o O Shem'o O Echad
1: Gied kada sheme
0: rabba biama divra chirutei kimlehma chutei bchayim ha'roev k'meim shechay bchayim chomim chom uvchaye de godbetjes israel bagala az man kariv zeh nu amen sheme rabba mevorach le'ol mei onmaya ki porach fiyus kabach fiy pa'aref et romman vi't nasay ביתadar v'yitalav v'yitalal shmeid kutsah beriku elam min kol bi'achatav shirata tush pechatav nechamata tami ramba amav v'yemru amen neishlama raba min shemaya tachayim aleinu v'yalkol yisrael emru amen ose shalom b'mamav hu yaase shalom aleinu v'yalkol yisrael emru amen.
1: Amen. You may be seated. And now we have announcements by one or two of the
2: members. Six. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Good to see you after having not been here um, last Saturday. Um. I think it's Stuart's message today. Um, came across to me that without a vision for things, they're just sort of like rote um, actions that we take. And I'm thinking um, each week we um, have a prayer time at 9.30 with Anne and it's obviously part of Anne's life and um, she's praying for the rest of the congregation and I wonder if um, others have a vision for prayer Um, but can't make it at 9.30 or um, would prefer to pray after the service. So we also have a time after the service in which um, Roya and Linda and Harlan will um, pray for people. So I guess we do, of course we do what's convenient for us, but also what we have a vision for. And um, so I just wanted to let you know that either come at 9.30 or um, pray together after the service with, these wonderful people who are willing to sit down and pray with you. Um, today we will have Zikron Mashiach um, at 1.15, and that's our monthly um, Messiah's Remembrance meal. And we'll also have the Hebrew class today and uh, the Torah study, and we will not have the women's Bible study today, but it'll be next Saturday. I simply forgot and um, ask, you forgive me, but we'll do it. Jen Holman, who's gonna teach it, she did not forget. But I, um, some of you know Helena and Beth Berry, and um, they're moving tomorrow, so I'm going to go spend some time with them today. So I forgot we're having a study. We will have the women's study next Saturday, and it's possible we will have a men's study next Saturday as well, so stay tuned. Um, Our hope is that At least once a month, everyone in the congregation will be engaged in Bible study um, of one kind or of another. Um, And some do go to Torah study, some come to the women's study. So going to try to make this be more of a community effort that one Saturday a month, everybody will be in a Bible study. So it's possible next Saturday will be a men's study. We'll let you know. Anyway, I think that's all I have to say, okay.
1: just in addition, um, this week it was um, a few birthdays actually. Um, Nick Better's birthday was yesterday, so send him a text message, or you can use Raya too as like a surrogate. <laughs> um, and also Nina Borlarte, if you know her, it was her birthday also two days before on Wednesday. So be sure to say happy birthday to them, and with that we'll um, break. We're doing kiddish and Hamotzi inside here, so please swarm around it so we can get that to you. So you guys won't be as hungry as you are as you are now. So gather around and swarm.
0: Uh, whatever makes you happy.
1: Yeah, kiddish. Two
0: kiddish. All right, give, give me this to Yes, sir. There it
1: is. Oh, no, it's not
0: Over there. Come join us for Kiddish. I'm, gonna, I'm doing the Kiddish so I got the big cup. Okay, kiddies. Last one over here is having that car towed. Don't let that bother you. Okay. For those of you who are visiting, this kiddush is not the body and blood of Yeshua this is uh, this is acknowledging the the holiness of the gift of Shabbat Okay the shamru ben yisrael et ha shabbat la'shot <laughs> et ha shabbat ledor tamrito lam bnei uvan ben yisrael od le'olam Le olam le'olam shamru b'nei Yisrael et ha-shabbat La'asot et ha-shabbat l'doratham barit olam Kishesh et jamim asah Adonai, asah Adonai Et ha-shamayim v'etha'aretz v'shamru b'nei Yisrael et ha-shabbat L'asod et ha-shabbat. The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing it throughout all their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel that for six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day the Lord rested and was refreshed. V'gercha asher b'yorecha ki sheset yamim asar aronai et haShemayim et ha'aret et ha'yam vet kol shebam beyom hashvi'i al kein beirach aronai et yom hashabbat v'kad shehu. Remember this day, Shabbat, to set it apart for God. You have six days to labor to do all your work, but the seventh day is Shabbat for the Lord your God. On it. You are not to do any kind of work, you, your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, not your foreigner who is within your gates of your property. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. And on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the seventh day, Shabbat, and separated it from himself. Therefore, we say, Baruch atah Adonai. Elohim umelachavlam dobre porihagafan Amen Since we're about to have a meal this bread is not to bless Shabbat but to bless to give thanks for the meal in Jewish life every mea- every meal begins with bread preferably rye bread
2: <laughs>
0: uh uh baruch atah ronai elohim umelakhav <laughs> hamotzi lechem min haretz white salt the salt is because a meal is like a a holy occasion. It's like a sacrifice. All the sacrifices of Israel were salted, and so we put salt on it uh, in order to honor its connection to sacrifice and to the holiness of the meal. That'll be five dollars. Shabbat shalom. <laughs>
1: Shabbat, Shabbat, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat
0: Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shabbat Shalom. And Shabbat Shalom. Come, in God, come inside. Rush to the front of the line. Because the people in the front of the line are usually about as slow as your tax returns. So rush to the front of the line and the heck with everybody else. Look who's here. Hello, brother. Sorry I'm so late. Hi. Did you I hear? You didn't hear the sermon? Too bad. W-
2: you're going to put
0: it up? Yeah. It, w- it was a special one today. Okay. It really happened. Great.
2: Thank you for that message. and that was really a really good message. Honestly. Yeah, it was, that message that was, was a God. Like that, was a God
0: that, uh, that, that, that message was better than what I prepared. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, oh, great God, when that happened. God, yeah, God was in the delivery moment. All the passion and everything. Of it. I'm going to go home and Mike, he's still, the mic is still on, yeah. so I was oh. talking